Hello and welcome to this week's uh, Shoot the Moon podcast, broadcasting live and direct from Revenue Rocket World Headquarters in Bloomington, Minnesota. Uh, Revenue Rocket is the world's premier growth strategy and M&A advisor for tech services companies. Today, I've got my partners, Matt Lockhart and Ryan Burnett, uh, are here today helping us talk about M&A contracts and how you engage with an advisor. Welcome, guys. Hey, Mike. Good to be here. Yeah. And I, it's Friday afternoon. We don't normally do these on Friday afternoon, guys. So I think we're a little unprepared because I think maybe we should have a beverage in hand right now, which we don't. But next time we do it on Friday, I think we will. And I've got, I, I just heard a new nickname for our, our, our partner and moderator, Revenue Barnett. I love it. Over to you, Revenue Barnett. <laughs> I'll take it. I'll take it. Uh, uh, it's a, uh, it's fitting, but I appreciate everyone listening here today and hopping in. You know, in the past, we've talked a lot about what to expect for fees, uh, and when you're evaluating an M&A, uh, vendor. Uh, we have plenty of podcasts on the topic and, uh, blog posts, so please feel free to visit those at, uh, revenuerocket.com. But uh, today we're gonna we're gonna dig into something that you'll find in nearly all M&A related contracts. Uh, if you're working with an investment bank or a firm like uh, a M&A advisor, you'll find a provision for what we like to call a, a fee tail for in a transaction after an agreement comes to an end. Uh, so uh, before we jump into that, I'm gonna ask uh, Mike to set a little bit up. And, and Mike, can you help us understand? Um, different engagement models for uh, M&A firms and, and talk a little bit about contracts or and even compensation uh, that's related to M&A firms. So that's going to help us understand why uh, why different M&A firms will have different uh, tail-related provisions. So help set us up there by just what kind of contracts and uh, fee structures there are. Yeah, sure. So, um, you know, a little bit about uh, our industry. First, um, you know, typically uh, brokers fall into um, or advisors fall into two broad categories. There's um, folks that charge a retainer plus a success fee, uh, and the, then there's those that uh, don't charge a retainer, just a success fee. Um, those are much more uh, matchmaker service. They tend to be smaller um, firms that don't uh, have – uh, quite the level of experience or capability uh, as those that charge a retainer. And uh, those that do charge a retainer uh, really structure their contracts one of two ways as well, either as an exclusive contract or what we'll call a non-exclusive contract. Exclusive contract means that if you sell to anyone, regardless of whether that advisor sourced them or not, during the time of the, the contract is in, in force, including during the tail period, you will owe them a fee. We happen to be, as here at Revenue Rocket, a non-exclusive uh, vendor, meaning if you were to sell to someone that we didn't work on or work with you on, uh, we wouldn't expect a, a fee. I think that's a kind of common sense way to approach it. And certainly there's pros and cons to having exclusive and non-exclusive relationships, Sort of depends on your specific needs. The way that most uh, retained uh, M&A advisors work is they either charge an upfront retainer um, 
or they charge a kind of pay-as-you-go retainer. Think of it as a monthly uh, retainer. And um, there's merits to both. Certainly, uh, we here at Revenue Rocket like the pay-as-you-go model because it gives the customer, you um, or the client, much more uh, control, uh, ultimately, of the outcome. If for whatever reason the relationship isn't working out or you can't seem to to work with your particular advisor, you, you don't, you don't, you're not on the hook for the full upfront retainer model. Um, and, um, and generally, you know, my experience both as a, as a client of, uh, working with advisors, uh, and now being a vendor, if you will, um, has shown that that's been a pretty good model. Uh, and people like that. Uh, as far as success fees go, success fees, um, uh, if a firm like ours is helping you sell, uh, are generally based on enterprise value or the sale price. And, um, you know, you're paid upon success ultimately when your firm is sold. Um, uh, Ryan alluded to, uh, tail provisions because there's a lot of conversation, question and concern in some cases, uh, by what is a tail provision? Why does it exist? And how long should it last and all that? Um, and in essence, uh, what a tail provision is, is that um, in the event that uh, you've terminated your contract with an M&A advisor, all M&A advisors that we know um, require that for some period of years following that uh, termination, uh, that that adv- should a deal uh, get consummated, you know, with someone that that advisor introduced you to, uh, you should get paid. Um, and that's in a non-exclusive contract. In an exclusive contract, should you sell to anyone, regardless of where that came from, they, that advisor uh, would require that you get paid. And there's specific reasons for both exclusive and non-exclusive contracts. But a more liberal, client-friendly sort of seller approach is to have a non-exclusive contract and certainly have it cover only the firms that were introduced by that M&A advisor. Hopefully that lays the groundwork for the discussion, Ryan. Yeah, thanks, Mike. If I had to summarize a little bit here, uh, you can, uh, firms are typically compensated on a upfront or retainer-based fee, uh, and then the success fee. And I think that's the, the majority of why companies uh, or why advisor firms or investment banks uh, utilize a fee tail is that the, the majority of the reward comes to a deal being closed. Uh, but however, there's a ton of work that goes into getting a company to a stage that uh, there's close. Every from everything from the origination to the LOI negotiation through the through the due diligence, and um, we should also expect that both trying to acquire another business using an M&A advisor, or if you're trying to sell your business with an M&A advisor, either case, you'd be uh, sub- typically subject to a uh, tail uh, type provision. So uh, thanks, a, thanks a ton for, for setting that up. Matt, I'd love to just hear your perspective on, I think we covered a little bit of why, but any more feedback on why uh, it's important for for both advisors and clients to consider these tail provisions? Yeah, I, so I think we're going to circle around this a little bit and it's sort of the, some of the different models is, is, 
If you think about a contingent only type of an arrangement, it's sort of like, um, you, you, you've got somebody who's just sort of on the lookout for you, right? And if they happen across, um, say you're selling your business and they sort of happen across a buyer, then yeah, you know, hey, maybe the, you know, by chance those things could work out, right? <laughs> and you've just got somebody on the lookout, but you're not necessarily working with somebody um, who is helping you with their, with your financials, who is helping you ensure that you're going to be able to market yourself in the best way. And certainly that individual who is working contingently only is likely not spending a whole lot of money on advertising promotional materials. They typically are, are kind of one man bands. Now, for an organization like ours and, and many, many, if not most, kind of like investment banks, of course, there's a fair amount of cost, right? That we've got, um, as we're bringing somebody to market, right? And, and, and that the retainers that Mike talked about are, are really not covering those costs. So to your point, I mean, so we talked about financial preparation, um, marketing preparation, advisement. Oftentimes in the financial preparation, we've heard this on other podcasts, there's like work to be done to ensure that the financials are as, are as clear and accurate and they're put together in the right way. And then there's, you know, once you go into market, um, there's a number of, of firms that, you know, within that ideal list that we as the advisors, um, have relationships with. And that's why, and we know them because we've been doing this for 23 years and, and we think that they're suitable buyers. But then there's also a fair amount of work that goes into researching what other ideal buyers may be and contacting a fair amount of marketing outreach, a fair amount of, of, of just business development outreach to those parties that, that aren't known today. And so there's just all of the, when you're working with a firm like Revenue Rocket, all of this upfront work that enables us to drive successful transactions at a much higher rate, certainly than contingent providers and quite honestly, a higher rate than, you know, most people in our industry. Um, so, right, if for some whatever reason, and I think we can talk about the, the different reasons that a seller may choose to take themselves off the market, right, and stop the uh, retainer-based relationship with their advisors, well, all of that work and all of that cost being put in um, is still there. And so those firms that have been identified by the advisor that are part and parcel to this tail provision are really still applicable if anything were to come back around at a later date. Yeah, it makes sense. And again, to look at it from the perspective of the, the relationship, uh, with the majority of the fee being in a success-based fee, if someone takes that off the table, um, there's protection for 
for the advisor to to ensure that uh, that all the work that was done and the introductions and the uh, the 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 all the all the things that you've seen throughout that process are enabled to to uh, really have uh, fairness in kind of both sides of the transaction. And Mike, uh, kind of transition a little bit here. I mean, we're talking about something really specific here. I mean, how how often does a enforcement of a tail actually um, take place? Well, not very often, Ryan. I think in our uh, world, and we've done hundreds of transactions over the years, I would say um, I can only recall two or three situations in 23 years where a tail provision had to be had to be utilized uh, or was utilized. Uh, so it's exceptionally rare. I would say it's, you know, one or two percent of the time. And so spending a lot of time, you know, getting hung up on what's in the tail provision, how long it lasts, what's it include and all stuff. You know, I think it's prudent if you're entering an agreement with an M&A advisor to understand the rationale and the terms of that tail. Absolutely. Really important, particularly on an exclusive arrangement, because you may be locking yourself into something that you don't fully understand the ramifications of. But I think in a non-exclusive arrangement uh, where your broker is really only asking to protect those um, relationships for which they facilitated an introduction, uh, it's fairly common sense and reasonable uh, to assume that is the case. And I think, you know, for most uh, most situations where that comes to bear, at least it's been in our case, um, that client uh, or at that point that former client will notify us and involve us in the work that's required to get the deal closed. And so um, we're participating and kind of earning our keep in that situation anyway. So to, to, to repeat that, that very, very rare uh, does this actually come to, to place. Uh, you're typically working with your advisor uh, in this, uh, you know, it, but it still can happen. Um, can you can you tell me, Mike, in, in, uh, just to have you keep rolling here, you know, what type of firm or what um, what should be included in a tail provision? It sounded like uh, it could be as far as a, uh, exclude in like every firm that's that someone never talked to all the way down to uh, something else you know what's the what should a buyer or seller expect as far as coverage and, and what's uh, perhaps you can walk a little bit about how revenue rocket does it and and how that might be different than uh, others yeah I mean we know that there's advisors in the market that do exclusive sort of searches that, and what I mean by exclusive is that they require you to only work with them um, on any buyer, regardless of where they would be sourced or come from, and pay them throughout their tail period, regardless of where that buyer might come from. And we think, you know, in our own world, we think that's overly restrictive. Um, there's lot, there's rationale behind why a broker would request that. I mean, as Matt, you know, I'll you know, uh, talked about, there's a ton of work that goes into sort of packaging and building for marketing and preparing you as a seller um, to go to market. And so, you know, I think the rationale of those exclusive firms is that, hey, they put in all this time 
mean, if you were to sell to someone else based on the work that they've done to prepare you and maybe give you advisory around your financials and your structuring and marketing and developing offering documents and all that stuff, then they should get paid regardless of where that buyer comes from. And I think, you know, we could argue whether that's right or wrong or good or bad. We take a little more liberal view of the market and say, look, we're okay with you selling to someone else if we're not involved. And if you choose to not get our input on that or use our resources as part of an engagement we do with you. Um, as a matter of fact, we hold to a pretty high standard what constitutes uh, an introduction. And for us, that's a, a signed non-disclosure agreement. Um, at that point, at least based on our process, we've, uh, as a seller, you've approved uh, the outreach to that company. Um, you've approved us sending preliminary um, non-identifiable marketing materials. We've qualified them through our qualification process. And we've made a recommendation that you sign an NDA. But once that NDA gets pro uh, processed, um, that particular buyer knows who you are. Um, and, you know, I think for some buyers, they they want to deal directly with a seller and, and you know, it may even be an on-purpose tactic to try to wait till after, um, you know, wait some time to approach a seller or hope that a deal doesn't get done on behalf of a particular process so that they can try to deal directly with a seller Um particularly if they feel that that would give them some advantage versus having an advisor in the middle of the transaction. The statistics actually don't bear that out. Uh, the statistics show that you're much more likely to get a transaction done with an advisor than without an advisor. But, you know, we think sometimes uh, those buyers choose to try to approach you um, independently. Um, so, you know, for us, and, and we think we're probably one of the most liberal uh, views in the market. It, it requires an NDA to be signed that confirms that we've identified who you are to a potential buyer. And we feel once that occurs, uh, whether you choose to, you know, however you choose to might want to try to get that deal done, uh, that we should be compensated for our success fee at that point. That makes, that makes sense. Uh, thanks, Mike. Uh, Matt, turn it over to you a little bit here. Um, have you have you seen any kind of a length on a tail provision and and kind of a secondary uh, question? Um, uh, well, let's start let's start with that. You know, is there a length to a provision that you've uh, typically seen? I would say normally, I what I've seen is anywhere from one to three years. I think standard is kind of in that two year time frame, but. And, you know, I, I think, Mike, you've seen more than I've. Uh, we've seen some that people try to extend out, in our opinion, way too long, you know, four or five years. That's not appropriate. But uh, I think two years is a good baseline and, and kind of go from there. Yep, makes sense. And if a company has you know, ended a relationship with a with an advisor, and, again, that can be in any way. It can be positive uh, and it can be – Something or just the, the relationships change, and let's say you're, and we've see, we've seen this a lot on the um, when we're doing buy side work, call into a firm and they're still under a tail and they're they're waiting that tail out. Um, either and I can throw it over to Matt for you to start. What what do you think? Do you think a firm should should wait out a tail provision 
uh, or uh, I mean, so much can happen within a, a year or two to wait something out. And um, it's a lot of risk there. Well, what do you think? Well, first, let's let's back off. You know, you say ending the relationship with the advisor. Oftentimes, it's not really an ending of a relationship. It's it's that a firm something has changed in the firm's business so that they are either pausing or, you know, whatever it may be, their M&A activity. And that can be both buy side and sell side, right? I mean, um, the, the firms, the, the, the state of the business has changed to the positive, right? They all of a sudden are growing, you know, uh, at a much faster clip and, and or growing EBITDA at a much faster clip. And they're like, look, it's, I'm going to be more valuable in 12 months or 15 months, right? Or on the, uh, on the inverse, maybe things are kind of, there's just been, they've hit a bit of a rough patch, right? And, and they've stalled a little bit and that's really never a good time to be selling, right? <laughs> Or on the buy side, again, a variety of factors could could just make a firm pause, right? It it isn't necessarily the the relationship between an advisor and and um, and their client. It can more often it's sort of the business conditions. Now, to address your question specifically about should you wait out a tail period, um, uh. It, I think that that goes to the state of the state. A, how, how much, how much left is there in the tail? I think that's a good question. Um, how did things, how did, how did things get left off with that advisor with the, that's, that's, uh, that holds that tail? Um, if somebody, you know, if somebody independently contacts you who, you know, was in, who's, who's covered by this tail provision, um, how likely are you to move forward, right? I mean, there's, a, I think, a, a number of questions that need to be asked. Um, so it's it's kind of not a, a black and white yes or no. I think that what we've seen more often is, is that if the time is right, then you, you shouldn't be worried about the tail. That's the, that should be kind of the least of your worries. So if if the time is right and the situation is right, then the tail really shouldn't be part of the decision criteria. Yeah, it's a, it's a great point. It's, a, it's a much harder than a black and white question. I appreciate you giving that context, and, and you're absolutely right. This is something where uh, there could be so many uh, instances and and why that relationship changed, and it, it could be a positive. I'll tell you, no, at least from at least our perspective, it, your an M and A firm is not in business to go chase a tail. At, at all, it's something that it's a uh, it's protection at the best. Uh, they're always in the best interest to to get a deal done on behalf of the client that is that that is a that's the best deal that they should have to fit strategically, culturally, and and, and financially. So uh, I will say that uh, this is again a topic that comes up. It's, we barely uh, address it, maybe one percent of the time, but. Because it's in every contract, it's something to to understand some of the nuances uh, that that come with it. Um, uh, really, the last question I have, um, and I'll throw it back to to you, Mike, is that you know, have you if you look at fee structures that are out there, is it should someone expect to pay the full success fee 
if uh, there's meaningful contact and meaningful dialogue, is it um, something that decreases over time? Uh, tell me some of these structures that might be used in uh, with uh, with that fee uh, fee tail. Well, every contract is different, as you can imagine. Um, I would say most of them uh, you would expect during the tail period to pay the full success fee. Um, some firms use a prorated model, but the challenge with prorating is, um, you know, certainly if you involve your your advisor, if you notify them that, hey, we've been approached and this looks like it's going to happen, uh, if the full success fee is sort of on the line, likely they will re-engage and help you facilitate getting that done, right? Uh, and I think in the end, that's in your best interest. Um, you know, even if you've engaged with another advisor, they certainly can provide context and, you know, can help you. Um, most of the time, and I know in our situation where our tail provision was utilized, um, we did get re-engaged and did assist in getting it done. Um, and um, that was helpful for all parties. So um, in general, I would be very upfront about, uh, hey, I'm entertaining this offer. Um, how can you help us? You're entitled to a fee on it or will be entitled to a fee on it. And as such, you know, let's figure it out. Um, I think that can work really well. Uh, but, but, you know, every, the terms of the agreement, I think, are different between different brokers. It's contingent upon you to look carefully at the terms of the contract. I think, you know, you need to make sure that what you're signing up for, and I would say this about any business contract, um, but certainly with your M&A advisor that you understand the contract and you seek to understand before you enter into the agreement. Um, because trying to come back and, trying to do something different that's outside the four corners of the contract, um, kind of after the fact, probably, uh, you know, isn't likely and, and frankly not not something that should be expected. Great. Great. Um, Matt, any, any closing thoughts here? No, I think we've really covered this one, Brian. <laughs> I mean, it's uh, – I think that it, it maybe not our most exciting podcast, guys, and that's okay. Yeah. But I think very important and informative because, you know, we try to use this as a resource for people to learn, and, and, and we hear it from our clients all the time that it is a good resource to learn. And so for those people who haven't entered into the process – Hopefully this is informative because it's you're going to see it. <laughs> and now you know what it is. Over yeah. to you, Mike. Thanks, Matt. With that, we'll tie a ribbon on it for this week's Shoot the Moon podcast. Uh, I would encourage you all to tune in next week, and we'll unpack and explore more relevant topics around growth strategy and M&A for uh, all you tech services businesses out there. Thanks, and make it a great week.